0: Ebenezer, how are you today? Hey, it may be raining outside, but at least we're inside, we're dry. How was Easter last week? Now listen, I'm not just talking about the chocolate bunnies that you'll have around your house for the next three months. What, y'all don't have, we have this bowl of candy that like used to build up, and then we had to start guessing how old the candy was. Like you'd have Easter and Halloween and you're getting on this thing looks like it's about two years old. and I mean, does chocolate ever go bad? I don't think it does. But guys, I was blown away last week by God's goodness toward our church at, at Easter. Uh, just the number of people that we got to see, the almost 200 people, catch that, 200 people served last Sunday morning. And that blew me away. I was so excited as we, from whether you were pouring coffee or rocking babies, it was it was an extraordinary experience, and we were able to love on those that God blessed us to be able to hang out with last Sunday. And so, from my heart to you, if you if you served last week, thank you so much. Uh, that meant so much to us, but not just that, I think it made an impact. And what also excites me, some of you saw one of your three come to church last week. Some of you spent the month praying for that one individual, or that those two individuals, or three that they would come to church, and they did. And it was a great reminder to us that God never, ever lets us down. And so if you, if you pray, maybe you're like, wait a minute, I prayed for three, and they didn't even call me back. Keep praying. God in his sovereignty will bring that point along where they're going to hear that gospel. And we're going to pray that they're ready to receive it when they do. And our Fred said, hey, listen, we're not slowing down. You usually you get down with Easter and you're like, oh, we're going to coast to VBS. No, not us. We got so much that's coming up. As has been mentioned, Bible school is literally 50 days away from today. And I'm excited because I have heard so much good stuff about it. I looked back, and last year, there were 359 kids signed up for Bible school. And my question to you is, why can't that be 400? Why can't that be 450? Actually, Timothy told me, Before COVID, there used to be 600 kids that would frequent this door for Bible school. And you know what? It's going to take two things. Us praying and us inviting. Us praying and us inviting. And so we want you to get excited about launch day next week when you can sign up your kids to come, ask your friends to sign up their kids to come, or pray about how God will use you. We had 200 volunteers at Journey, 200 last week for Easter God's got something that you can do. And you're like, wait a minute, I don't do kids. That's okay. We've got parking lot duties. We've got food duties. We've got all kinds of things that you can do to make an impact on the families that will be on our campus. I want to point to you also on our church app. On the church center app is where you can sign up for a lot of the things that we've got coming up. Specifically the two mission trips. The student mission trip to Kentucky in July and the family mission trip that we're taking in October. And that's important um, because uh, we need, you know, we got to get you signed up. We got to get registered with them. But let me, let me tell you, you're like, wait a minute, it's a family mission trip. Concord just got back a few weeks ago. They took a group of students down. Uh, Concord Baptist Church, where I used to serve as next-gen pastors, they got back. They took a group of students down. One of their team members, his name is John Knoll. John is a precious, precious friend of mine. He's 86 years old, and he went and built a house. If I got his age wrong, I'm apologizing online right now. John Knoll, 86, went and helped build houses in Ensenada. Nothing can stop you from going. and So I want you to pray about that, and uh, go ahead and get signed up for that and the mission trip. And lastly, we have our first date night in in two weeks of this year. First one we get to experience. So I get to experience Bible school, I get to experience date night. Now, why does any of this matter? Why is this important? We We have thrown so many different announcements at you today because every one of these are opportunities that you can invite somebody to come. There's nothing simpler than saying these words, will you come with me? You've got friends, you've got families, you've got neighbors, you've got coworkers, whoever it is, use these opportunities as a way to continue inviting. Those three that you prayed for, you don't know when the time's gonna come That they'll say yes. Don't stop asking. Don't stop asking and don't stop praying. Because you never know when God's going to bring that to fruition. And so I want to invite you to take your Bible, your device. I've been waiting 30 years to say this. Turn to Acts chapter 16. I have never preached this passage. And I have been waiting Fred's laughing at me because all I've talked about for four weeks is this passage. I'm I'm hoping that as we bring this study to a conclusion, if you still have your white bracelets that we gave out weeks ago, don't stop wearing them. Because somebody's going to ask you, what's on that bracelet? What does it mean finished? Because we know from Psalm 118 that God initiated this plan to save people. And that Jesus Christ, as we studied last week in John 19, 28 through 30, That Jesus knew the plan, owned the plan, and then he completed the plan. Completely completed that plan and that nothing, listen people, nothing could stop that plan. For 2,000 years, Satan has thrown everything he can at that plan and nothing has stopped that plan. Jesus Christ is still as alive today as he was the day he came out of that tomb And ascended to the Father. Jesus lives. He's alive today. And that movement, that plan, was a plan with power that was unleashed upon this world. Unrestrained. When you think about the word unleashed, there's a lot of things that may come to your mind. One of the things that comes to my mind is I confess. I'm going to be very vulnerable for a moment. When I was a kid, I watched Sesame Street. And if you remember, there was a dog on Sesame Street called Barkley. And he was this huge, I, I bet there were two people in this, this uh, oversized Muppet. But I would cry at the end of Sesame Street. There was this, I don't know why, it was this, there was this scene sometimes at the end of Sesame Street where Barkley's running through the park and this, this song is playing. And it's got a bunch of minor chords in it and I would cry. I'm like, where's Barkley going? I mean, it, it tore me up. I mean, what's, what's going on with Barkley? But Barkley in Sesame Street was, was unrestrained. When he was unleashed, he, no one walked him around. Come on, how many of you have a big dog? You probably don't walk that dog much because that dog walks you. Don't you remember Scooby-Doo? I mean, they didn't leash Scooby-Doo because who would want to be drugged by that Great Dane? And it's the same for us today. It, it, we stand here today with a plan that God has put on the church to carry out in the world with an unrestrained, unleashed power by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus appeared to his disciples and his followers, and he told them, I am going to send another. And in Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power. Dunamis in the Greek, it's the word we get dynamite from. You will receive power to take this gospel to the nations. And I want you to remember this ladies and gentlemen. It took Jesus dying on the cross to save you from your sins. What makes you think you can walk the Christian path without the power of God? What makes you think that righteousness now is just going to come to your mind? It won't. God knew in the new covenant that he promised in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 36, 27, he said, I will put my spirit inside of you. In Ephesians 1, 13, he says, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And that same spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And he now lives inside of you. If you've received Jesus Christ, he is the initial mark and evidence that you've even been saved. You couldn't go to the cross your own, on your own. Jesus had to die for you, so he sent someone to come along to mark you, to give you the power you need, that I need to live this Christian life. And I think about it like this. When you, when you put a teapot on the stove, and you start to warm this teapot up, it, it starts out slowly, you hear this hissing. But as that teapot begins to warm up, that water expands and becomes an unstoppable force that makes that hissing become a whistle. Or maybe you think about water and how all of us in this room, we need water, don't we? I needed water. I sent my son to get me a bottle of water a little while ago. A little trickle of water because basic need is that we need water. But a lot of water at the same time is a dangerous force. My family, as we, when we were growing up, well, my, well I was growing up. My, well, maybe my parents are still growing up too. I think I'm still growing up. When I was being raised by my parents, how about that? Does that fit better? We would go to Daytona Beach Shores. That's where we stayed and that's where we did vacations. And, and a few years ago, we returned with our family and we stayed in this one place down on the south side. And last year, Florida, the state of Florida, saw two terrible storms. It's been battered and battered and battered, but this last one really did a number, especially to Daytona Beach. Because I looked at aerial shots and videos of the place where we stayed and that, that, that swimming pool where my kids and I were swimming just a few summers ago. It's gone. And up the strip from there, this countless numbers of condos and hotels and they're they're gone why because that force of water was not stoppable just i mean and i don't know that we've seen the full thrust you've seen videos of tidal waves Un, an unstoppable force and something that we need that's so simple to nourish our bodies can become an unstoppable force and that's like the holy Spirit. You see, you and I, we need the Holy Spirit to bring about the plan of God for our life. God wants to sanctify you. God wants to change you. He doesn't want you to stay the way that you are, and it takes something more powerful than you or I can muster. It takes the Holy Spirit of God, something supernatural. Peter was preaching, and he said, as, as he's quoting Joel chapter 2, that in the last days, God said, I will pour out my what? My spirit. And they will prophesy and have visions and dreams. And you're sitting here thinking, that's kind of crazy. Isn't it crazy? Doesn't God sometimes show up in the weirdest, craziest, unpredictable ways? And that is like the plan of God. It is something that is unstoppable. John Piper was speaking, and he recounts this like the story of the Aswan High Dam in Egypt. It is 375 uh, feet high and 11,000 feet across. It started construction in 1953 and was finished in the early 1970s. But the Nile is a very important source of life in Egypt if you if you remember most of it's desert that that river is needed and so as they're constructing this this dam they didn't stop the flow of water they would let water go down because the people down the river they needed it they they washed with it they they fished it they 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 were on the water and so that water continued to flow just a little bit but when they dammed up that river and that water rushed into the dam and and hit the 12 turbines that make up the power plant it began to produce billions of kilowatt hours of power the same water that was providing a drink down the river now is producing this power and for you and me today he goes on to say this but the tens 10 of billion kilowatts that were added by the holy spirit were to enable the church to take this light of the gospel and the glory of jesus to every tribe every tongue and every nation Because you and I don't have the ability to do it on our own. So that brings us to chapter 16 of Acts. Let me set this up for you. The book of Acts can kind of be divided into two parts. The first part kind of following the ministry of Peter. And then there's almost like a baton that's handed off because he's kind of ministering to the Jews. And then the latter part of the book of Acts is focused on Paul's ministry. Divided into three parts. His first missionary journey second and the third and where we are here is in his second missionary journey and this time instead of going with Barnabas there was a disagreement over John Mark they decide to agree to disagree with their separate ways and he takes Silas and he and he goes north to Sicilia and as he gets up there he wants to go one way but the spirit says no and so he has a vision that says come over to Macedonia and he goes to Macedonia he lands in the city of Philippi And when he's there, first thing that happens, he meets this woman named Lydia. And Lydia, according to history, becomes the first European convert to Christianity. That's great. Man, someone got saved. They go out on this journey, and this one one person that we know of got saved. But then something happens. As they're walking through the city, there's this young lady who's demon-possessed, who is taunting them. And she's following them, and day after day she keeps saying these things, but she's also kind of like a, a fortune teller. They're making money off of her. Paul casts the demon out of her, and the people get angry. And so they take Paul and Silas, they strip them, they beat them, and they throw them into jail. And that's where we pick up in verse number 25. So if you'd like to stand with me as we read through a few verses to set this up, I want you to think about the power and the plan of God unleashed as we look through this text. He says, starting in verse 25, But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there came a great earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were open, and everyone's chains we're unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. That just tells you how horrible the Roman Empire were. Th- th- those people were so bad that even their own, their own soldier was like, if they find out that these prisoners got out, I'm dead. And they, so he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself, for we are all here, not just Paul and Silas, but all the other prisoners as well. And he called for lights, he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Father, as we, as we take in this passage today, let us learn how we can participate in that plan that has been unleashed upon this world. That plan that Jesus completely completed. That gospel that saves our lives. Lord, show us how we can be a part of something like that. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a study guide, I want to just show you seven, I say seven points. You're worried that we won't get out for lunch. We will. I promise we'll be out for lunch. The first point is this. Trouble can be expected. When God's plan is unleashed, especially into the world in which we live, the gospel is a mystery. This world does not want to hear, repent of your sins. This world wants to indulge in its sin. And so to hear a message that's calling people out of that, yes, it's going to be met with hostility. Picking up in verse 16, it says, It happened as they were going to a place of prayer, that a slave girl having a spirit, a divination, again, fortune-telling, who was bringing her master's much profit by doing this, they were following after Paul and kept crying out, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Now, was she wrong? What she said wasn't wrong, it was how she was doing it, where she was doing it, and to whom she was saying it. So she continued this for many days, but Paul being greatly annoyed. This is this idea of, of like, here's this pain and it's going beyond it. Like it, He had come to a breaking point. And he turned to her and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Not Paul's authority, but the authority And the power of God. See, when we are in God's way and God's plan, trouble can be expected. You know, it's interesting. I want to make a side note here. Because I hear this a lot in, in Christianity and faith followers. And I think it's wrong. Trouble is not always an affirmation that you are good. People will say, you know what, well, you know, I must be doing something right because Satan's been after me. That is not true. And let me tell you two reasons why it's not true. Number one, sometimes things are happening to you because you're in sin. And you need to do, as Henry Blackaby said, you need to do a sin inventory. You need to sit down and say, God, look at me. Show me, examine me, show where there be any wicked way in me. We need to constantly and consistently be asking God that. Then just because something bad's happening to you doesn't mean that it's because you've done something good. And here's the second reason. Because bad stuff happens to good people. Bad stuff happens to good people. Jesus said in John 16, that in this world we would have trouble. But take heart, who's overcome the world? He has. A lot of what you and I experience that we call the woes of life have very little to do with going in the gospel. These men were suffering because they had shared the gospel. I don't think if we inventory the suffering we have that we can categorize a lot of our suffering being attached to the gospel. This is specific suffering. But I'm telling you that we can expect trouble because we are believing, because we are confessing something that's contrary to the world. That's why we are, when we're baptized, ladies and gentlemen, we're baptized, we're saying, I identify with Jesus, his suffering, his burial, his death, and his resurrection. That is not the world system. I'm saying no to the world system. John Stott says this, the fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith. Did you hear that? We wrestle in our faith more over why, God, are you letting this happen to me? Why are you letting it happen now? He says, and it's happened in every generation. He said, its distribution and its degree appear to be entirely random and therefore unfair. That's why we don't like suffering. We're like, well, I'm a good person. God, why are you letting me suffer? Because in our mind, we think good people don't suffer. That's no different than karma. You know what karma is? It's an Eastern philosophy that says if somebody's doing good, they must be good. And if good things are happening to them, that they're good. If bad things are happening to them, that means they are bad. That is, that is a, a huge dichotomy of thinking. that In our, dichot- in our, in our philosophy, our religion, our, our thinking, our theology, we understand that suffering is a part of our growth. Do you know why I believe young men and women aren't maturing like they used to? Maybe it has to do with their brains not being developed. I mean, there's science to show that. You know what I believe it is? It's because we won't let pressure affect them. We have rescued a generation of kids from pressure. Parents, the best thing you can teach your kids is to suffer well. If they go to school and they get a zero on the homework because they didn't do the homework, let them have the zero. Because they'll never learn responsibility. Yes, a zero hurts. A zero is embarrassing. But you and I, I look back at my generation, and I started working when I was 12 years old, busting tables at a restaurant. If I wanted to buy something, I went and bought it. And we have a generation of people, even in our faith lives, where we're not letting them suffer under the pressure that will build their faith. Trouble can be expected. And we can't live like Charlie Brown and Eeyore. You know Eeyore, right? Winnie the Pooh? Well, I guess I deserve that. And we we sit there in in this weakened state when God has released an unstoppable force by the Holy Spirit, to work in in our life. God doesn't want you to skirt by in this life. He wants you to live in victory. And we have to know that trouble is to be expected. But here's the second thing. Rejection is guaranteed. Rejection is guaranteed. You see, Philippi was was a pretty important city. Philippi's name came from uh, Philip II, king of Macedonia, whose son you may be more aware of or more knowing of, Alexander the Great. The man who took the Greek culture across all the Mediterranean, the known world. Very influential, very, very stabilized. And they, these men in that city, were using this young woman to make a profit. Rejection is guaranteed. Why? Would you agree we live in very polarizing times in America? Really in the world. It used to be that you could tolerate other viewpoints. It used to be where you could agree to disagree. But now we've become, become very combative. You know why I believe that's true? Because we're all afraid. We're scared to death. We're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of being wrong. We're afraid of change. We're, we're afraid of being perceived weird or, or judged. I can't be comfortable in my own skin. And I believe it's because we're afraid, and so we become combative. And the reason I come, become combative is because I want to control something. You see, one way of this is you look at a situation. I may step in and, and blow up to try to control a situation, which we see that, don't we? Or I see this other side where I completely disengaged. Why? So I can control a situation. And that's what leads to rejection. I believe when somebody rejects you and they reject me, it's because they're scared to, death, scared to death. They don't know how to be comfortable in their own skin. And I believe the reason they're not comfortable in their own skin is because they haven't met the man who changes their life for the good. You and I, we live in a world that is not our own. And God wants us to be different than this world. That's why He sent the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul would write in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 8, So, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. What's he talking about? What's the this? The this was the sanctifying work of Christ in your life and mine by the Holy Spirit. To change us, to move us, to teach us, to direct us, but then to give us the power. Even though this world may reject us, that does not give us a reason to ever push those in the world away. We may disagree. That does not give you the the religious freedom to become moral police. I really wrestled with whether or not I ought to say this. But let me give you an example. We get really upset when worldly people do worldly things. People for the last two weeks has complained because there's a transgender person on a beer bottle. A company that makes money by people getting drunk, and we're getting upset at that company for putting that on a beer bottle. It shouldn't shock you. This is the world we're speaking. We are not of this world. I'm not upset about that because I don't drink beer. And I don't get drunk. Again, let me just be on the soapbox for just a moment. It should not shock you when the world acts like the world. But that does not give me the permission to go out and attack them. What it gives me, the permission, is the opportunity that I can point them to a Jesus who died on the cross to take away their sin and give them abundant life. That's what it gives me. And I have to be ready in my mind at whatever may come my way that whenever rejection comes, I need to be ready. I need to be ready not to attack but to extend. We need to be ready to extend grace wherever, however, and whatever that looks like. And then that grace we extend truth. We extend truth. The truth that God is, God created, man fell, sin exists, I'm a sinner, Jesus died, forgives my sin, rose again, gives me life. That's what we have cuz troubles expected Rejection is guaranteed. But I kind of wonder in the mix of this. They're beaten. Paul and Silas are beaten. They're thrown into the jail. And between verse 24 and 25, we don't have a lot of information. How long were they in the jail? We know that by midnight, they're shackled. And more than likely, all the prisoners were moved into the same cell in the deep because that way the jailer could keep an eye on all of them at the same time. But what the text begins to say is that they were singing that they were praising. Folks, let me ask you a question. When you and I understand that this plan of God is unstoppable, and he's given me a power that's beyond myself to participate in that, you know what happens? Doubt takes a back seat. You know what doubt is? Let me me read uh, from James chapter 1. Don't worry about turning there. Let me read to you says but if anybody lacks wisdom let him ask of God who gives all to all generously without reproach and it'll be given to him in other words it's not prejudice he will give it to you if you ask but here's the reason he must ask in faith without any doubting for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind what's the danger when that happens is it the wind or is it the water What's the danger of being tossed by the winds? Sinking and drowning. Because he says, for the man, this man ought to, to, not to expect he will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. Well, if, if it's not that, then what should I expect? I should expect that when I ask God in faith, God will work according to his will to ask, answer whatever it is I ask. And Tony Evans kind of talks about this this double-mindedness where he said there's like rooms in my brain. And on one side is this truth of God, that all those things we've been talking about, the truth of God. This word doubt literally means to go through that truth and form my own perception. Rather than dwelling in the truth or the judgment, I look through it to see something different. Or I I go through it and I come to a different position. Rather than existing in the truth, I'm outside the truth. And the goal here is to tear down the wall in my brain, the compartments in my mind, and realign with the judgments and the truth of God. And when I renew my mind, when I renew my mind into the truth of God, it gets me into the lane and into the path and into the plan that God has for my life and yours. And doubt then takes a back seat doubt is not a sin doubt is the opportunity for you and i to extend faith to whatever it is we're going through god's not in heaven ready to strike you down when you doubt case in point peter says jesus if it's you ask me to step out on the water and what did peter do he did and he's walking on water but then what did he do he looked down The wind didn't stop. The waves were coming back and forth, and it scares him to death. And so what happens is faith begins to get weak, so therefore he begins to sink. Jesus didn't walk up to him and say, walking on water, say, What's up, Peter? So your faith is weak, huh? Let me let you get down to about nose level, and then I might do something. Let me make you suffer for it for a few minutes. What did Jesus do? He reached down and he pulled him up first. He addressed the faith issue. But not before he acted. Doubt takes a back seat. Doubt takes a back seat. I want you to see doubt as the greatest opportunity for you to renew your mind and place your faith in what God can and will do in your life. Because it's an unstoppable, unleashed force on this world. And I believe this is the medium for that. Praise. This next point, praise pressures the problem. Because like I said, we don't have any information between 24 and 25. And I don't know if Paul and Silas had a moment of doubt. They saw Lydia get saved and then they get taunted. We don't know. But what I do know is that Paul and Silas, in agreement, started praising the Lord. And in fact, it said they were praying in the imperfect tense, which means they never stopped. It, like, it kept going, and they were singing, so it almost gives this implication, they were singing their prayers. One commentator implies that this was their way, singing their prayers, that the rest of that room heard the glories of God. They weren't alone. When Paul wrote the book of Philippians, I'm sure in that room, when they received this letter from Paul, who was in prison when he wrote the letter, Lydia was sitting there, most likely the jailer and his family. And they didn't, y'all know that there weren't numbers back then, right? It was just one big letter. They didn't. That was introduced later. So kids, when you're going like uh, Philippians four four, those letters were. In, those numbers were introduced to those letters. But they're reading this, and then they hear him say, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Why did he say that? Because he didn't want his imprisonment to discourage them. In fact, the jailer had already seen him in prison once before. The jailer knew what kind of power God could exhibit even when he was in jail. And then he goes on to say, uh, uh, I have learned to be content in whatever situation that I'm in, whether in want or in plenty. And then he says this, a verse that a lot of you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not to make a three-point shot or to get a touchdown. That is in the, in the plan of God that's leading me into suffering, I can be content no matter what God sends my way. And I will praise Him. And I will thank Him to the God who gives and He takes away. Thankfulness is can be the bolt cutters that frees you from your doubts and your fears. Thankfulness and praising God. saying Just simply saying, thank you, God, for what I have. Thank you for what's in my life. I praise you, for you are my God. I praise you because you sent your son. Taking a moment to develop that discipline will change your life. Let's just be real. In this room today, some of you came in here, and your heart is so heavy it's dragging the floor. You've experienced a whirlwind lately, a storm, so to speak, that has just beat you down. But can I challenge you to press your problem with praise? To redirect your mind to focus on not what God has allowed to be taken from you, but what God may give to you. To focus on the God who right now may seem distant, but He's right there with you. As Casting Crown's song said, I will praise you in this storm this storm, very specific storm, and lift my hands. You are who you are no matter where I am. Every tear I cry, you are holding in your hand, which means God cares about every little thing that you're going through. He says, you never left my side. Is that true or false? Is God always with you? How do you know? Because he promised it. He says, so I'll praise you in the storm. And because of that, they realized that the world was there watching. The world was watching. Those jailmates and the jailer were all watching. And as they sang in this, in this next point, God worked or works supernaturally. When we praise God and we refocus our attention on God and we, and we, and we realign ourselves back to what God is leading us to do, we begin to see what God is doing supernaturally. We begin to recognize that sometimes coming in contact with somebody I haven't seen in a long time isn't just because we happen to be at the same place at the same time or a coincidence that maybe God's lined that up. I stop looking at, and I, I say this all jokingly, that you're standing in Walmart and the person in front of you's got 159 coupons and you're just wanting to check out and get a gallon of milk that maybe that time that you're there is for the person behind you. I remember that happening to me not too long ago as I was standing in line and we were waiting for somebody who had a large amount and we just began to talk and I found out he was a former pastor who had had a lot of loss in his life. A lot of loss in his life. And he was just trying to figure out what life looked like and I didn't really have any advice to give. I just said, you know what? Can I pray for you? And we prayed right there in the middle of Walmart waiting to check out. There's nothing special about it. But I thought for a moment, God, you reminded me again that you allow me to get into places where other people are going to intersect my life. You ever, you ever, um, Have you ever had a bruised nerve? You ever had a bruised nerve? I had a bruised nerve in my thumb years ago. And everything I touched with that With that thumb hurt? And everything that touched it hurt. It was very sensitive. See, when you and I step back and we realize that praise will pressure my problem, it will give me something to push back against, God will begin to work supernaturally, and I want it to do so in such a way that makes me sensitive. Sensitive because he's pushing me with that plan. He's pushing me in the power of the Spirit because he wants my life to infect and affect other people's lives. All of those people in the jail were freed. Y'all get that? It wasn't just Paul and Silas. God could have just let them free. But all of those that were in that jail, their shackles were gone. That power was the bolt cutter that set them loose. But they didn't take advantage of it. They stayed in there. And so when the, when they, when the jailer was about to kill himself, he thought they were all gone. And it scared him. But guys, I want to ask you a question. What would it look like when we come in here? I, I said Wednesday night, I'm going to say it again. We don't come here to do church. We are church. We get to come here and experience worship. We get to come here and experience the word of God. What would it look like if our worship was so powerful that it did break the bondages and the hearts of people around us? That the exaltation of God was stronger than the strongholds of the heart what if it was an earthquake size moving that broke the walls down because here's what I'd love to see the world being astounded shocked the jailer woke up he came in was going to kill himself and they said "Don't don't harm yourself we're all still here before this jailer could have his spiritual need met he had a physical crisis He knew that if the Roman overlords found out what was going on in his life, that he would die. And I think he initially runs in and says, what can I do to be saved? I'm stuck. I'm in a mess. Guys, when you go through life and you encounter people who, who are going through messes, maybe you're the reason that you've intersected their life to help them find a way out of that mess. And any physical need that they may have always can connect back to their greatest spiritual need. Don't ever let those those moments go without an opportunity to tell them about the greatness of God. Habakkuk 1.5. Habakkuk is wrestling. He's wrestling because God has shown him a vision that the Babylonians are going to be the ones to come in and take over the Jews. And he's going like, God, you're a good God. Why would you let an evil people come in and do this? And he writes this. He says, look among the nations, observe, be astonished and wonder, because I'm doing something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Folks, I believe God's about to do something in Ebenezer that we cannot even fathom or imagine. And it's like this force of water that we talked about. That water is moving. And I could choose in my arrogance to try to stand in against that water and try to be stubborn and not let it move me. Or I could go grab my, my surfboard and I could wax that thing up and I could jump up on top and I could ride that wave. You know why? Because when you look at all of this, it says trouble can be expected, rejection is guaranteed, doubt takes a back seat, pressure praises the problem, God works supernaturally, the world is astounded, and you know what happens as a result of that? Faith yields fruit. The reason you and I go through some of the things we go through has nothing to do with me and you. It's just the fact that God has chosen that path for us because it's going to put us in the place to either experience or intersect someone's life for the glory of God and we could sit here and say oh God why did you let this happen for that jailer that day he took them out he went and bound bandaged their wounds and it says his entire household was saved and baptized here's the truth my faith affects the faith of others my perspectives I can choose to focus on the hopeful I can choose to focus on the positive. I can choose to redirect my attitude. I can choose what I am seeking. I can choose to be different. Let this be the thing that unleashes the plan of God in our life. Because God's plan, unleashed, will lead to supernatural results. I don't want people coming to faith because I can speak well or or I can have a convincing argument. None of that will win somebody to faith. What wins people to faith is Jesus Christ. The promise of God and the move of the Holy Spirit. I love, I love what Francis Chan used to talk about. I've heard him say it many times, but I caught it again in a clip recently. When he asked the question, like, what would it look like if my name, if my, my life appeared in the book of Acts? And he said this, he said, He was longing for this movement of the Spirit where this should have a life of its own and an unstoppable force because that's what we see in the book of Acts. Nothing was going to stop it. Nothing was going to stop the church. He said, I want you to think about the book of Acts and how unstoppable they were. Nothing was going to stop them. God said He was going to build His church and ladies and gentlemen, He's still doing that. But just like Jesus said in in the Gospels, the writer says that, that Jesus didn't do many miracles to get there because of their unbelief. I'm asking you today, where is your belief? Are we believing God for the supernatural or are we satisfied with things as they are? Am I content with my life the way that it is? My question for us today is do we believe that this plan, the plan instituted by God, completed by Christ, carried out by the Holy Spirit, Do we believe that it still has the power to transform lives? So today, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to fast this week. You're like going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're talking about, you've been talking about riding surfboards and standing in waters and dams producing kilowatts hours. Yes. I want you to consider reaching up on your radio dial and turning your music to praise and worship. Uh, whether that's southern gospel or whether that's praise and worship, modern, I don't care what it is. I'm a, I'm a newsboys fan myself. But I want you to think about, just for the next week, do something a little different. In fact, I'm even going to challenge you to do this. I want to challenge you to fast social media and news this week. You're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. No, 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 I can't turn my news off. Yeah, you can. If you believe that God is sovereign, then you believe that whatever you find out in the next week It's going to be okay. Because I believe, Laura and I talk about this a lot. I noticed when I used to listen to WSB a lot, I stayed depressed. Because I was constantly listening to the negativity. The media wants you to be afraid. You realize that, right? Because in fear, you could be manipulated. Jesus didn't bring you fear. He brought you life. It is... Finished, and that's what i want to ride and base my life on so would you stand with me as i pray as our band comes to lead us in one last song father in jesus name you're good to us we love you we love your word but lord let it transform us let your plan be unleashed god whatever we bring into this place today maybe we did come in here with hard hearts or heavy hearts but god this altar And these men that will be up here to intercede, God, I pray that you will use this time to take those bolt cutters and cut free the chains and the shackles that are weighing some people down. And God, as we go into this week, Lord, give us opportunity that those three that we've been praying for, maybe this week will be the week that we get to see them come to know Jesus. But we love you and we praise you and ask you now, receive our worship in Jesus' name.